You are now, now tuned into Progressive Action Radio, the most objective show in America. Hosted by Tramel Thompson, co-hosted by Jamel Wilson, and DJ Damage is on the wheels of steel. You will never know what to expect when thoughts and wisdom unite. People, get ready. Ready, ready. Progressive Action is now live. But we're talking about a, a job that has dangers. We ain't gonna get into that. Matter of fact, we ain't gonna get into too much small talk. What's going on, Cuz? I'm doing good. How you feeling this evening? I'm good. Just let the people know who we got in the building today. All right. How's everybody doing tonight? First, um, we're gonna jump right into it. We're not gonna do a commentary this evening. We have Mr. Roger Toussaint on the show, former president of our union. How you feeling this evening, Roger? tough time to actually be a transit worker and, and this evening in particular given the fatality that we just experienced but um, otherwise okay okay well um, like I said we're going to get right into it because we want to preserve our time so uh, first uh, I think we want to talk about uh, one of the big issues that's going on in our local right now as far as the uh, health benefits because a lot of people have issues and a lot of people, mainly people who live out of the, outside of the five boroughs, who live down in Jersey, who live out in Pennsylvania, and then retirees have concern about it who are uh, in between the age of 55 and 65, you know, the Medicare age. So uh, basically, how do you think that the, the changeover of the health care benefits to Aetna administering our benefit, um, how do you think that's going to have an effect on all the members? I mean, I would be more than happy to delve into that in great detail. But I think that we have a duty and obligation here to discuss the recent fatality and put that out front and go into that in detail um, because our members are at risk and we don't know what tomorrow brings. Uh, we need to, um, to both honor the memory of our fallen comrade, Louis Gray, construction flagger conductor and um, and rally behind the surviving members so I would recommend that this show focus on that first and then we can go right back into the health benefits but there's a lot that could be discussed pertaining to this latest dramatic um, event um, the, around this fatality that's correct now we understand that you that you did go visit the conductor, can you tell us what kind of spirits he in? How does he feel? Did you see anybody else at the, the hospital? Okay. Yeah. Um, I actually arrived in town in, in New York City this morning. And um, after I set myself up, I immediately went to the location of the accident, the fatality, spent some time out there. Uh, Fort Hamilton and Church on the G-Line. Um, and then I went to the hospital and spent several hours there with, um, with the brother who survived it um, and his family, um, Brother Fleming, construction flagger. So that people know the background here. Um, just after midnight last night, um, construction flaggers in the process of setting up a job site along the G-Line 
um, in the Fort Hamilton Church Avenue um, station areas um, were struck. Two, two of the three of them who were over there, actually I believe four of them were on, the, were on that account. Um, two were struck by trains, by a train, um, a southbound train, and one was fatally injured. According to the reports, he passed away in the hospital, but he was, his injury was fate, proved to be fatal. The remaining member, um, Brother Fleming, um, is at Methodist Hospital in an intensive care unit. Um, and I spent several hours with him there with his family. Um, he has a young daughter um, and his um, sister and nieces and other family members were, were present. While I was there, different um, construction flaggers, conductors, um, who either knew him or had worked with him or who had heard of the incident came to to visit the visit him at the intensive care unit. But for the many hours I was there, there was no union rep um, um, visiting or present. I was told that um, earlier a number of other construction flaggers had come by um, um, so that your, your, your listeners understand um, the, the, the title that these brothers belong to is construction flaggers, but they are conductors. Um, conductors who are assigned to protect outside contractors who are working on the tracks of New York City um, occupy the title of construction flaggers. So these two brothers were construction flaggers. Um, so many of them came through the hospital um, to the intensive care unit. But there was um, no union rep for all of those hours. This was striking to me because as president of the union, I had a very firm policy that when our members um, experience um, uh, major accidents, um, near fatalities, such as in this case, that a union rep was, it was mandatory to have a union representative posted at the hospital for, as a resource for the family, obviously, to protect the member against the invasiveness of the MTA, which will hung the members to try to get the member to write letters and to um, and to and interview the member regarding what occurred, even though the member might be delirious and under doctor's care um, and traumatized. Um, so it's very important to have a union representative there as a as a permanent post until that member leaves the hospital. In fact, we had that policy for not only for situations like this where you had a fatality and a near fatality, but even when our train operators and train crews who are also equally traumatized um, uh, as a result of people jumping in front of trains, we had the policy of having them escorted and having a union rep stay with them. So I was... I was, I was, um, I was um, em actually embarrassed to say the least um, to have to deal with the family without there have been any union representative there um, um, for the entire almost four hours that I was, I was um, at his bedside and in the intensive care unit dealing with the doctors, dealing with um, because there were no arrangements for the family to have a family room. Um, Methodist Hospital's um, position is that it's a trauma unit and therefore 
they didn't make accommodations for family rooms, which most hospitals would do for major accidents. Um, Methodist Hospital's attitude is wait in the lobby with everyone else. Wow. Um, mm -hmm. And uh, all, for all of these reasons is you must have a union representative there. There were attempts by the, by, um, by the MTA to send people in there to ask some questions. While I was there, we actually had to physically stop a couple of reporters from the Daily News who were attempting to open the curtain into his cubicle to ask him questions or to get a scoop for their, for their news stories. Now, mind you, this is the same Daily News that carried a, a photograph, a picture, a partial picture of the face of, um, of Louis Gray, the deceased member, well, that was carried in the, in, the, in, the, in the electronic version of the Daily News at a time when his family had not even been fully informed of his passing. Wow. So they don't care. Their attitude is beat the other newspapers to a scoop. Yeah. Again, that's why you pay dues and that's why we're supposed to have a brotherhood and a sisterhood so we stand up for each other, especially when we're laid out and you can't defend yourself. Correct. But the, in this instance, the union was nowhere to be found. Um, for several hours, missing in action. Um, and I was particularly disturbed when, when I looked at the union's website and you would get the impression that the union was in fact on the case and everything was covered and was standing with the family. But that would, be, would have been news to the family that I saw today. Wow. Jeffrey Fleming's family. Wow. Right? Mm -hmm. um, and in fact, um, I looked at the, 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 the video that um, the union has on its website of Samuelson Shopgating um, in Long Island City, and I looked at the union statements. So there are quite a few things that I'd like to say about that, but let me deal with the, with the, with the matter at hand. Um, um, the, the overall problem in terms of the, I mean, obviously, the actual details of what occurred is still... Come in, is, has not come out as yet exactly how this accident occurred. Let me ask you a question. Yeah. Um, now, you said the, uh, I guess, management was there, was trying to question Mr. Fleming. Right. Correct? Now, you think they would try to place the blame on either the, them, Mr. Fleming himself or the uh, train operator himself? That's why they was going to question? Without a doubt. There is absolutely no question that that's the angle and the approach of the transit authority. Blame the victim, blame the employee, right? That you violated some rule, you didn't look both ways, you didn't look before you stepped somewhere, um, you did not comply with some type of rule. They, it's, it's from their interest is uh, to protect the company and to blame the employee. There is no question that that's the purpose of the transit authority's presence in this yeah. and at the hospital. Now, my thing is that the, that's the IND, that's the G line. It, it's it been around since like 1930. That curve has been there forever. Mm -hmm. And those issues, there's no, a lot of no clearance there in that particular area, I know for a fact. Mm -hmm. Now, why? what's the problem with transit being proactive instead of reactive now? Because now I'm quite sure other things go going to play to make sure that this don't happen again possibly a slow, slow speed order or some other type of wheel detection thing over there? Well, what, what we heard is that there was an all non-emergency work was suspended today. Um, 
that's a symbolic gesture that is meaningless beyond the day. Um, as I said, the details of exactly how this accident occurred, more of those details will become clear in the days and the weeks ahead. Correct. But I think that some general concerns should can be addressed now with respect to the, exp the considerable exposure that our members have to massive hazards. And one issue here concerns the exposure that flaggers have, both construction flaggers and track workers who are assigned or engaged in the task of flagging. And the reason why this is important is because a high percentage of the fatalities that, have, that has been experienced over the past 20 years involved flaggers. Correct. Flaggers, there's a peep meaning track workers in the main, and now we have construction flaggers, but people whose jobs it is to protect the gangs and the and other people working along the trackway, they are the ones being killed in disproportionate numbers. Um, and that is a matter of concern. I can point out several of them. In addition to this latest incident, Harold Dozier was killed um, in the prospect, on the prospect line, yeah. Prospect yeah. Avenue Q line. Yeah, Q line. Right? Danny Boggs was a flagger as well. He was killed in the course of setting up flags. Um, at 59th Street on the number one land. Um, back in the earlier, um, Samuel McFall was, was, was struck and killed by a train um, while in a, in his flag, at his flagging position. What is clear to me is that, um, is that the, the, expo the extent of the exposure of flaggers to these hazards hasn't been sufficiently captured under the under the, um, the, the, the procedures and need to be completely overhauled in many respects. For one thing, um, the Transit Authority has consistently refused to, re to recognize the path that, tra that, tra that our flaggers have to travel through the tunnels in order to set up flags to, con to recognize that as part of, the work of their work site. Correct. Um, and therefore, that they need protection as well, both in terms of flag, flagging protection as well or enhanced flagging protection for themselves as well as greater illumination other than a handheld flashlight. Correct. Um, they need greater illumination to communicate their presence to the train operators. So that a whole lot of a bunch of procedures need to be put in place to completely ward off and better protect um, our, our members who are assigned to the flagging function, whether they're track workers or they're construction flaggers. Because the Transit Authority's approach, again, has been to even, even flaggers who are at their flagging position, protecting other employees, gangs, or outside contractors for the duration of the night, even their position is not, is not illuminated the Transit Authority refuses to recognize that that is a workstation. That is a, and therefore it needs to be properly illuminated. Correct. Right? The standards call, actually, the state law calls for a 10-foot candle standard for work, for areas where you're doing, engaged in construction work. 10-foot candles. Right? Nowhere in the system does the Transit Authority um, institute a 10-foot candle rule. Nowhere. And that's law. Right, and that's law. Yeah, and oh, transit has a, a right. habit of ignoring yes. law. Ignoring the, well, ignoring yeah. the laws that they want to ignore. Exactly, exactly. right. Um, so, 
both with respect to illumination but with respect to enhancing the flagging protection while you're setting up flags it is obvious that flaggers need protection too greater protection correct and and instead with the approach of the transit authorities essentially to shift the onus to the train operator the train crews and said be careful and, and watch out f- for people on the trackway so that means that they have abrogated responsibility for protecting those flaggers and and track workers and they have transferred that to the train operator instead of changing their own procedures of how you set up flags how you put how you flag for flaggers how you and and so on and so forth and there's a whole bunch of procedures that need to be focused on in order to better protect our flaggers now no. all, all these things that you just mentioned there's something called safety committee meetings should these things be brought up during those meetings well there's a whole lot of of levels and layers that have were put in place over the years and more recently under my administration that I question whether any of those things um, are working or the extent to which they are. Um, so, for instance, one of the things that I, was, that I instituted along with um, um, senior management at the time was a requirement to perform um, daily audits of all job sites and sign off on, on the safety of all job sites prior to the commencement of work, including construction flagging sites. Um, and those, so people will, will, will have been released for the exclusive purpose of conducting those audits on a nightly basis and on, on a daily basis. And, and then you, what you would do is track, the, um, track the, any violations or any safety problems that you would encounter in order to determine whether the problems are trending upwards or trending downwards and, and intervene accordingly. So, for instance, if you encounter greater and greater flagging problems, that tells you that there is more and more non-compliance with the with flagging protection requirements, and therefore you would ram that up or take other necessary measures. Um, so, I don't know what the status of those reports are, with, of those audits and those reports. The other thing is, what we instituted is... Um, after the, Danny, the, the two fatalities in 2007, we instituted for the first time in the history of New York City Transit independent outside oversight of transit authority safety rules. Um, what was, what was, signed into, it was signed into law called the New York State Track Safety um, Task Force. And that is, consists of, and that is law. It consists of the president of the union, the president of the transit authority, and the New York State Commissioner of Labor. And the law requires that those that tri- that, that trial meet at least quarterly every year and review the um, track safety rules and um, actually pass on and prohibits any changes, any diminishing of track safety rules without the, without the approval of that for task force. So the transit authority is allowed to to um, to increase track safety, but it is not allowed to decrease track safety. And my understanding is that in some respects, track safety has decreased with respect to, for instance, the amount of training that is required um, that has been cut in order to save money by the transit authority. Yeah. But my point is. 
that is a very major level that was that we put in place quarterly meetings and i would um i would um based on based on the performance of this administration in other areas i seriously doubt that mr samuelson has conducted those quarterly meetings in the area of track safety that's all about that he's you. required to. <laughs> that's all about Bro, to ask you yes. Bro, let me let me ask him this because okay. um recently um the transit authority has been letting people who hasn't been finished even probation do uh flagging now right so it's is i agree with what you said that they just want to get the flagging rate at a cheaper dollar and not worry about having um experienced people who even have experience on the train let alone right. um be on the track protecting work crews and gangs and stuff like that right so do you know the the, the mta is putting a dollar before the safety of the members and, and the track gangs themselves. Well, it, it, for instance, in the in terms of the frequency of recertification required, refreshments required, um, we increased that after the after two thousand seven, and I understand that it was significantly cut back. See, the importance is this: if you are if you are a truck driver and you have not driven a truck and handled air brakes for ten years. And you go behind it, even though you 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 have licensed CDL, you would be in serious trouble, meaning you would be arrested yourself on the on on the road. And the same thing applies to track workers and construction flaggers or or people who flag in to protect other employees if they have not if they have not recertified if they're not polished on the procedures on the distances required on the on and all of the procedures required in protecting the gang i mean you have to you have to you have to recognize that that is a that is a most critical function protecting the other employees and therefore that refreshment course and that recertification is very important to life and limb transit yeah. authority has cut that back yeah. i can get the further yeah. details on it but I also wanted to point out another piece that may factor in this in this accident that just occurred. Now, Go ahead. I want to ask a question real quick, and maybe mm -hmm. Tramel can answer. When crews report in RTO, are they given? Are they are they told that there's a geo job going on and that there'll be workers on the tracks? Um, yeah, yeah. We get um we get the geo jobs, and it tells you exactly what's going on, like what the comp the name of the company that's doing the work and things like that. But sometimes you have, um, it don't have to be flaggers out there. You have a, a broken rail or something could be going wrong in the tunnel that they need to rectify right away. And, you know, think there's no GO associated with it. You don't know till you hit the flag in itself. Right. Like in this instance, there's a, it is, it is, there's been at least a couple of reports that said that the train service was supposed to be suspended on that particular track. Mm. Um, um, certainly by midnight or before this accident occurred right after midnight um, so that needs to be you need to, that needs to be tracked down meaning in terms of whether that is the case because if they entered upon a track that they believed there was no service on um, and um, and unbeknownst to them service was restored on then they were put at a huge risk without yeah. warning and yeah. that needs to be we need to find that out and the reason why this is important is because some years ago we had incidents where um, where the transit authority began making reverse moves or what we call um, 
um, in wrong rail, in wrong rail in trains, okay. in train, in, a, in train operation language and, and wrong maintenance rail. of your language. You wrong rail a train, send it up the wrong way, they reverse it, right? So, um, and what was happening is that there were there were a number of close calls. So we looked at it. And we instituted a very firm procedure that said prior to approving the wrong railing of a train that the, it is the responsibility of the of command center, of the rail control center, to communicate with the tower and communicate with all, all personnel working on or about the tracks and clear the tracks. Not tell people there's a train coming the other way and clear up but get people onto a platform. We instituted that policy in writing. So that applies to, um, to when you're doing, that is already the policy, for instance, when there's a single track operation mm -hmm. going on, mm -hmm. right? Single tracking. Yeah, right? yeah, yeah. That policy was now extended to when there were reverse moves or, or a train was being wrong railed, right? Um, when you, if in fact, service was stopped and then restored, then that means that there was an unexpected res restoration of service out of the same type of effect as if you, you, um, you're, doing, um, you're, doing a, you're making moves that the employees doesn't expect to, ha to be happening. Correct. In fact, that's, how, that's one, way, the, one of the factors that was involved in Danny Box being killed. Um, the work train went through the site Giving him the impression that um, that the that the geo was on, right? And but instead, the command center had the the work train go all the way through Fifty Ninth Street down to to turn around downtown, and send a regular passenger train behind it. So the employees seeing the work train took that as confirmation that the general order was on. Mm -hmm. And in fact, there was a passenger train coming behind it that killed wow. Danny Box. You see, you know why? So we have been down this road before. Right. Like, like, you, you, like you said before, the, the reason that happens, if a GO starts at 12 o'clock and there's a late train, what management wants to happen is that they want to get that last train out there, even if it's past the GO. Right. Really? They just want to get, that's why sometimes they ask us, are you the last train coming through? Because they, they unsure because it's past that time already. Right. Transit just want to get that last interval out. They don't want the ABD trips under any circumstance. So that, so that, that detail needs to be tracked on if, in fact, that they allowed a train to, to, that, was, that service was at the end of and they, and they and they ran this train through. That means that they, again, put service over safety, over safety mm -hmm. and the consequences, our people get killed. Um, so that is um, that. So all of these details, as people need to keep in mind, keep that in mind that the, that safety means that you you engineer out the hazard. You don't say uh, it's up to the guys on the ground to be careful. Look both ways. Yeah. It's up to the train operator to look out for people on the tracks. That's that's. In addition to all of the steps that you need to take to prevent the hazard from a, to eliminate the hazard in the first place, yeah. and that is what they don't want to deal with, their obligation to remove the hazards from the job site. Should flagging be suspended until they figure out what truly happened in this accident? Yes, I mean, in my opinion, flagging 
needs to be the, the again the protection of flaggers needs to be addressed before work is resumed. You need to protect. You need to, you need better protection for the flaggers. We have lost about half a dozen flag people assigned to the flagging function. Now, would that be considered a job action? No, what I'm saying is that the management could be compelled to do that. We compel management to do things in the past okay. rather than just do a, do some type of thing for sure, like a, a, stand, a one day stand on, then you go back to business as usual without addressing the problem. Yeah. I mean, so the union was boasting in a circular today that we, we got together with management, we got management to do a stand on. These stand ons don't mean anything if you go back to the same practice the next day. Yeah. But you got to understand, you're Roger Toussaint. Yeah. We got John Samson. Exactly. And that's the difference. You know? That's the difference. It's, it's a major difference right there. I mean, the, 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 there are several things that need to be said here, right? Like, um, the problem with the approach of the union, I now want to switch, having dealt with flagging and with the problem of train, train movement under single track reverse moves and, and service restoration, how that need, to be, um, that need to be captured in terms of more rigid and thoroughgoing safety overhaul. Correct. Um, let's switch to the question of the, the conduct of the union in this matter. So I looked at the shop gate at the electronic maintenance department in Long Island City. So there are a couple of problems. You have a member died, which is a huge, the biggest event that could happen in the lives of transit workers. And Samuelson did mention that right. in the video. Well, actually, what he said is, I would be remiss not to, he was apologetic. It was like a departure. I would be remiss to not mention this before I go on to the business at hand. Correct. That's, that was his approach. Um, so the problem is, there's a construction flag in quarters within walk of that location. He doesn't go to the construction flag in quarters. He goes to the, he goes with his, goes with his scheduled um, electronic maintenance di division talk, right? Um, and he does that there. Um, again, talking about he would be remiss if he didn't mention this. But in the substance of his talk, he says that we are now we are convinced that they can't protect us and therefore they should pay us. And that's a shocking type of statement to make. Totally agree. I mean, what pay us exactly, exactly how much is Louis Gray's life work? Pay him how much? Pay his family what? I mean, is there a tie price tag on, on our lives? At what point would Mr. Samuelson be satisfied that he got enough pay for to bury a transit worker? Same question yeah. I want to know. Transit, transit is obligated and the union is obligated to protect our employees. There is no negotiation over that. Yeah. Right? But, but I guess he thinks that, that um, the amount that we got in the you know for the line of duty death benefit in the last contract in our current contract no. is good enough. I think that what he was seem to be saying is that we should get a, a raise since you can't protect us, pay us well, give us a nice raise, a nice salary. Um, which is I don't know if you think that that song's gangster, <laughs> like a tough guy, <laughs> but that is that that is that is outrageous to he, my mind. 
he passing the blame. Right? Well, I mean, that's the way. Of, you, the transit authority, you have to hold their feet to the, to the fire. They must be required to protect us. They must be required to put safety before service. And we and our job is to compel them to do it. Correct. One way or the other, but to compel them to do that. Not to say, as long as you pay us, you can go ahead and put our people at risk. It seemed like he used, he's, he's going to use Mr. Gray Death as a bargaining chip. Well, he, what he, what, I mean... This is this is this is a this is this was outrageous. Correct. It was way way beyond the pale to say you can't protect us, but you 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 gotta pay us for that. I mean, what is that? So that was one of the things that um that I wanted to 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 comment on, um, and people should think about it and think about what that means when you have your 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 union leader saying that to the world, um. Um, when it, because the alternative here is that you hold the transit authority feet to the fire, like I said, right? Um, what seemed to be ringing in Sam, behind Samuelson's comments is that he has been given some type of assurance by the governor's people or the MTA that they're going to um, give him uh, some type of raise, and he's um, and he's. He's running on that promise to to the members, so he goes right back to focusing on 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 um, that he's going to be able to deliver something. Mm-hmm. I think that that's what I think is 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 going on there. We fought many contract fights with the MTA, and and with the MTA and in the in the and for the, and in the court of public opinion, and in that in the court of public opinion. The, our issues of safety and dignity of our members, we, that, those issues resonated powerfully to the court of public opinion. Right? We do not back off or surrender our members' safety and their self-respect and dignity. Right? Um, and there's no price tag on that. Correct. There is no price tag on that. Of course not. Right? <clears throat> so now, why do you think that it's a rhetorical question, but... Why do you think that he didn't go to the construction flagging quarters that's right down the block from where he was at and made that speech, that statement? Because, because I think that the way the union leadership, Samuelson and the others, are oriented is that they, 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 they attach more importance to photo opportunities, to stuff that makes them look good, to flowery statements. Like if you read the, 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 the report on this fatality, you would leave with the impression that the union leadership was standing solidly by the family. I found myself to um, to Brother Fleming's um, bedside, living in Atlanta, before the president that you're paying, <laughs> and, and, and or before his vice president and he, that and, you're paying. Right, and, and Sam, you sent people was quick, and to other tell retirees you. were there. Correct. Who on their own time at exactly. his bedside. Right. right. And Sam, you sent people was quick to tell retirees to mind their business, quick to tell you to mind your business, but you happen to beat the active president down right. there to his to, to the Mr. Fleming bedside. Right. I that's mean sad. that that that's an embarrassment. It was actually from uncomfort- Atlanta. Unco- from uncomfortable, Atlanta. uncomfortable to 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 deal with the family. Family recognized me as soon as I entered the 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 um the the, the cubicle that he was in. The, you know. Um, but it was embarrassing because it makes us all look all look bad. That is when you, I mean, for them to have to deal with the daily news, for them to have to deal with the white hats that the transit authorities send to the to the ICU, 
to interview mm, him. Yeah. For them to have to deal with the hospital administrators who might be insensitive. Um, so, the, you know, like when they need to do their, their procedures on Brother Fleming, they ask the family to step out. And when, so you have, you know, a dozen family members standing around in the hallway as if they're homeless. When the, the decent and customary thing would be to establish a family room where the family could have their, correct, correct. could support each other and have their privacy. And so when they're not at the bedside. Correct, correct. Right? And, you, and you know, the sad thing is, I'm still thinking about the managers coming there in ICU. I could see it if it was recovery or like him, him, him waiting right to him waiting to go home and he's fully recovered. But you're talking about intensive care ICU. What the fuck is wrong with it's him not, anyway, it, man? It, it wasn't even 12 hours. Right. Yeah. Out of, out of the accident. And they come there and they and, and they want a statement from ICU. Right. Because oh, because transit authorities' mentality is the best time to get is get you when you're down, when you're confused and flustered, when you might see things that they that without properly thinking and without fully being fully cognizant that they could then turn around and use against you that's, later on. That's correct. That's what that's that's purposeful. Now, what's crazy is that the VP, he wasn't there, and, and uh, the chair wasn't there, and she's a flag. She was a flagger. Right. She was a construction flagger. She, she's yeah. a construction flagger. Yeah. I don't know if she came before, but you all can, you all can pursue that, yeah. and that deserves some explanation. But keep in mind also, you, then you have all, the, all, all Brother Fleming's and Brother Grace co-workers in the quarters. They're traumatized as well. I mean, what was more? They're going back with a flag tonight. Yeah. They, 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 they were relieved. For one night, yeah. but there's nobody dealing with how the, 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 the how nervous they get, how how that has impacted their psychology, how you know in terms of the comfort by, by which they go about their job, and no one, of course, like dealing, like I said, what needs to be done to to flag and protect the flaggers themselves. No one is dealing with that. Just go right back out there. But meanwhile, Mr. Samuelson and his officers are posing for photo opportunities, issuing, using their spin doctors, which they have these high-priced guys down at the Union Hall, making big money writing flowery statements, making them look as if they're on the case when they're not, mm -hmm. right? Because that is, again, that is, that is what they attach premium to, how they look, how they look personally, how they, how they look for the future, rather than the extent of the protection that they're able to put in place for transit workers on the property. That's correct. Mm -hmm. yeah. That's exactly correct. Yeah, so, uh, yeah, you know, it's, like I said, it's very sad. But uh, I don't know if you want to, um, you know, start to touch on the health benefits now. Let me just also add one or two other quick things on this. It just struck me when I saw this behavior, um, to ask the question whether Mr. Samuelson made the time to visit with the the young sister um, who Bradway. who lost her arm Bradway. in the hospital. Now she was she had to have been in the hospital. She was in the burn unit and she lost her arm, right? And given how these guys go for photo opportunities. It struck me that we didn't see a, a picture of Mr. Samuelson at her bedside. So if that is in fact the case, then um, if that was, if he had some more important things to do, then what was a greater priority than a fallen transit worker? Um, that he couldn't find his way to her bedside. 
was there some free food being given out in some <laughs> restaurant i mean what i mean what i mean you know i'm saying you no know, i mean it, 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 this is this is very you, you can't get more serious than when you have fallen comrades right right and if he couldn't find himself to her bedside right away right and they send this um this clung ambulance to, chaser to um a young man named duvet williams to tear open his hospital gong in order to show his union logo mm-hmm. um, on behalf of Samuelson and Utano, it means that they are just playing with playing with transit workers' intelligence and being highly disrespectful in addition to putting the employee the, the member at risk. Yeah. Right? But this is the question needs to be asked. If Samuelson could not find his way, did Samuelson find his way to this bedside? When did he do that? Yeah. Right? And are we seeing a reoccurrence here when you have a fatality and a near fatality that they have time to do the follow-up pieces, but no time to do the what to do what the family needs you there for, right? Um, when they're facing off against daily news reporters, hospital administrators. Trans Authority investigators and they're standing alone. Yeah. Now, now what's crazy about that because I, I donated, I only donated twenty five dollars to um Miss Bradfwaite GoFundMe, and I was just going through the list. I seen Roger, he donated two hundred and fifty. Samuelson donated two hundred. So I had brung it up and was like, Yo, what's going on with this? How, how why Samuelson ain't donate more? So one of Duvet Williams' friends came onto the page and was like, Well, the union donated five thousand dollars. I said, Fool, we are the union. That came from us. That ain't come from Samuelson himself. That's our money. That's our money, exactly. <laughs> That's our money. So what are you talking about? Right. And th- and then I'm wondering, uh, is race playing a factor in the f- in the fact that he doesn't come to the to the bedside of these people because these are minorities, you know, minority descent that we're talking about, you know. I mean, you just you just you just examine it. He's from Garriston Beach. Mm-hmm. He has told his his chief, his his chief uh, Harry Wills. That you know he chased black people out his neighborhood as a child or whatever the case is, and then you look at all the other stuff he did, cutting the apprenticeship program, which affected women and minorities. I mean, one can only wonder. Well, the, the, I mean, the, the the thing about it is, is, I mean, I don't know what's in his mind, right? But I know what the evidence is, <laughs> right? I know I know that the evidence is that he wasn't at. At um at Brother Fleming's bedside today, I know the evidence appears to be that he wasn't at the sister's bedside who lost her arm, right? I mean that is the evidence, right? And we can point a number of other things. The other issue is, um, with respect to the extent to which they are poli- policing safety, we also know the evidence is that they have failed to police in a number of other areas, including in the area of health benefits, which we are going to go into but in a number of other areas. So there's no reason to believe that they have been policing in the area of safety, but they have been, but, but they have been not policing in health benefits and so many other areas. The, the evidence more likely suggests that the same failure to police that we see in the area of health benefits is the same type of failure that's going on in the area of safety. Correct. I mean, even when you look at the, the union page, he he mourned that guy, uh, what's his name, Michael, kind of Galario. Okay, kind of with his brothers in control of of printing out the ballots and his other brothers, the 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 machinist union, the union that actually got Uber and all this other stuff. So 
and he got more than somebody else down there, but he ain't got more than a, a, of of Mr. Gray. Right. I mean, one can only one can only uh, imagine. Yeah, yeah, exactly. You know. So, right, so if you want to talk about the health benefits, I think we need to um, to paint the big picture so people understand definitely the understand what's going on with the what's going on now and what the what the actual history is. Um, Um, so, just to let me give some background here. Prior to 2002, there was the Health Benefit Trust, which is a a a, a government. The, the government allows um, entities to set up trust um, in the area, especially of health and pensions. Um, we also have trust set up inside events in, out of that same contract, set up a trust for the child care fund okay. of $3.2 um, million annually and a trust for training and upgrade fund of $3.6 million annually. Um, in the, and, and, so in, and in the case of health benefits, there was a health benefit trust that had existed for some time before probably at least 20 years or so before, prior to 2002. So people need to understand that the existence of the Health Benefit Trust did not mean that the union controlled the issuance and, the, and controlled health benefits. The, on the Health Benefit Trust, there were equal representatives of management and the union, three representatives each, of the, by trust rules. All trusts have to have rules that they adopt um, and submit to the st state insurance board and is, um, it has to comply with the guidelines and so on for trust because there are tax implications and many other implications under the law. Okay. So on the health benefit trust prior to 2002, the management representative was Vice President Ralph Aguatelli and two of his people. And the union's representative was usually the president of local 102 people of his choosing. When I took over, the 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 union, the three union representatives was myself, Sonny Hall, who was at that time the international president of the union, and I had named an assistant of mine as the third person, as the union representative. Now, people need to stop there and think about that because that, that means that there was no union control of, the, of, of health benefits. Um, if there is a dispute under the law, under the health benefit trust rules, a dispute between the parties is settled by the contract arbitrator. Right? So, and in fact, in 2001, we had a major dispute with the Transit Authority that said that the Transit Authority was not contributing what it was supposed to contribute towards the Health Benefit Trust, and they owed the union over $20 million. Wow. And that was taken before the arbitrator, and the arbitrator ruled in favor of the Transit Authority and, and, um, and, and um, denied the trust over $20 million that we were arguing that the Transit Authority was supposed to put into the trust, and that put the trust in further jeopardy in terms of running at a deficit in terms of providing its benefit. So what a trust is required to do under the law, the Health Benefit Trust, is, or how it was funded, first of all, was 
the part the parties management the MTA and the union agrees to a funding formula that the employer puts X number of dollars per active employee and X number of dollars per um, retired employee, not just ex-employer, retired, properly retired employee, into a fund. And the trustees and the trust provide benefits consistent with the amount of money in that fund, Right? Um, they cannot provide benefits in excess of the money that's in that fund. So what had happened prior to 2002 was that the, the funding levels that they, had been agreed to in the 1999 contract and in subsequent contracts had seriously underfunded the Health Benefit Trust. Right? In addition to that, in the late 90s, uh, there was a point at which there was some $39 million um, available as in surplus funding, and the union agreed, I believe it was in the 1999 contract, to allow the MTA to draw down on that money and eliminate that $39 million. Right? So when we took over in 2002, the fund, they were actually prior, just 2000, in 2001 when I took over, January 1st, 2001. Just prior to that, the fund began reporting very serious multi-million dollar deficits, right? Um, and it was interesting that those reports were released just as I was coming into office. <laughs> and what I'm saying is that the, the, the fund had been rigged to collapse and, prior to me coming in. And the year what? Rigged to collapse. Yeah. Right? In no uncertain terms, rigged to collapse. So they began um, pressing their trustees, began pressing for the, for the body to impose cuts in benefits. And in fact, the New York State Insurance Board, let me emphasize that, this is the supervisory body under the law, formally communicated to the trust that the trust was running a deficit and was required to submit to the New York State Insurance Board its plan for coming into compliance, i.e. cut the benefits to reflect the money that you have. In 2001, Sonny Hall, who was international president, resigned from the trust precisely over the issue that myself and the other person that I had on the trust, representing the union, absolutely refused to cut the benefits. Sonny Hall said that we had an obligation as trustees, and he's correct under what the law says trustees are required to do, right? Um, but we took the position politically that we were never going to cut benefits from our members, come hell or high water. Sonyol resigned over that specific issue and I replaced him. Wow. Right? What we did in 2001, as transit workers would recall, is that we staged a series of mass mobilizations and demonstrations outside the MTA headquarters, demanding that if they touch our benefits, all hell would break loose. We put 12,000 to 15,000 people there in demonstration after demonstration of power that transit that had not been seen before among transit workers right that was in order to push them back and to create um and to, and to block them from 
from from creating pressure to, for the for, for benefits to be cut. So we went into the 2002 negotiations at the end of 2002. Long story short, we came out of those negotiations with the following changes. We agree. We first of all, we got the Transit Authority to commit to maintain the level of benefits that existed as of 2002 uncut. Right. I want to come back to that later on because there are no union contracts with those type of with that type of provision, because that meant that we transitioned from a benefit plan where the where the which which is called a, which is based on the on a defined contribution from the employer to a benefit plan that was based on the defined benefit. The benefit itself can't be changed regardless of how much money was in the in in the in the in the bank, right? Cannot be decreased. And we agreed to a series of major improvements in benefits under that as well. There were more, more significant but more minor changes such as covering domestic partners for the first time, right? I remember that. Right? But there were more substantial changes <clears throat> such as establishing a prescription plan um, for pre-Medicare transit retirees, that is between the age of 55 and, and 65, that they would now have prescription coverage for the very first time ever. Right? Additionally, we agreed to, um, we had them agree to provide part-time traffic checkers with health benefits coverage for the first time ever. Wow. Right? Hundreds of traffic checkers who had previously had no coverage. Right. So, the, so the, the, the scenario that is being painted on the property by Mr. Samuelson, Mr. Dongs, um, and these guys, that bad things happened to transit workers in 2002 vis-a-vis -vis the health benefits, right? And we took, we took a, a blow. Um, we got beaten up, and management won that wrong. It's, it's, it was the to totally the opposite of, of what occurred. We came out of that wrong with a defined benefit and with more coverage for traffic checkers, retirees, and so on. There was an increase in the medical copies for visits and, um, and procedures, um, um, a moderate increase. Let me point out some other pieces that went in terms of where the value of that contract went into that's related to health. Um, prior to 2002, the thousands of members who belonged to MAP store had five sick days. And that had been the, the arrangement since the 1960s when MAP store was established. That's right. So other transit authority employees had 12 sick days annually. MAP store had five sick days. Right. Out of that round of negotiations, the value was put, the dollar value was put into bringing MAP store members up to the level of all transit workers with respect to having 12 sick days. That means that the um, four to five thousand members in Map Store got seven sick days, additional sick days, got a hundred and forty percent increase in their sick time in one fell swoop, which is worth tens and tens of bill millions of dollars, and over a longer period of time, hundreds of millions of dollars. So, so for so this notion that we got taken in the two thousand and two wrongs and. Management picked our pockets is just 
It's just contrary to the facts and to the data. Right? So coming back to the health benefit situation now, we have so you know we now have a defined benefit. In 2003, we then um, management was as unable to change the benefit, and management is required to consult with the union prior to any type of changes. In 2003, we then structure that that requirement, and I'll leave a copy of this stipulation and agreement with you. Um, this agreement in 2003 sets up what is referred to as a Joint Employee Health Benefits Committee made up of three representatives of management, not just three, it names who the three are. It is the Vice President of Labor Relations, the Vice President of Human Resources, and the, um, the Director of Employee Benefits for the Transit Authority. And, and it names three specific representatives from the union. It names the president of the union, the secretary treasurer of the union, and the head of membership services department as belonging to a joint employee health benefits committee. It's considered the senior committee in over health benefits. Um, and among the and, and it required by a group, by written agreement that this body meet at least four times a year, at least quarterly, right? And among the, the, the obligations of this body, I'll read, is um, there are many obligations and rights and so forth. It reads, to act as a search and evaluation committee in the event that it becomes necessary or appropriate to conduct a search for a third-party administrator for any of the welfare plans available to active and retired members of Local 100 and their dependents. So the, the senior committee itself was the committee to make those to conduct searches if they, if it was determined that you need you can get a better deal without any diminishing of the benefits right and that involves the president of the union the secretary treasurer of the union and the head of the of the union's uh, membership services department it goes on to further say um, again i'll leave this document and you can actually post it on your site that in the event that there is a dispute over any decision, including making any of changes such as we're discussing here, of providers or of third-party providers and so forth, that it would be the parties would the party making a challenge in the change would file a grievance, which will go before the arbitrator. Right now, the reason why I specifically mention and underline that. It because that was the exact same and the only dispute mechanism that existed under the original Health Benefit Trust. The only way you, you challenge a dispute that you had back then was to submit your claim before the arbitrator, make your case. And that, that right and that ability was preserved under this new arrangement. Right? So the notion that management had the right to do anything without the union's input involvement from from, from beginning to end, including that the union had the ability to challenge any change, is totally contrary to the record, the facts, and the actual signed agreements that exist. Wow. Wow. So yeah. basically what this administration... You can post this. So basically this administration didn't do any of that. They didn't do it. So that means that between Samuelson taking office in January of 2000 and 
and 2010, he was supposed to have um, four meetings annually. So just before, for this year alone, he should have had three, 2016, just before this change, because we're already in the fourth quarter right now, right? right? And this change was announced at the end of the third quarter. Correct. That means that there should have been four meetings in 2015. There should have been four meetings in the years before that. When Blue Cross Blue Shield was, was brought in, I believe that was in 2012. Am I mistaken or not? Yes. Right. Um, then there should have been quarterly, at least quarterly. You can have more, but at least quarterly meetings with the records and so forth during that time as well. I would, cont I would contend that Samuelson conducted no such meetings. Not four, not three, not two, none. <laughs> of course. Right? None. He conducted none of those meetings. There was no pol policing that occurred, right? Um, the, the Trans Authority informed. And, and what is interesting is that the, the union then issues if a notice to the members that says um, the, the 2002 gave management the right to do this. Right? And, that, and, and what is, what, the reason why that is interesting because once you as the union put, say that and put that in writing, then you have mounted management's defense for them. Management, you cannot now go challenge what management did when you yourself said that management had the right to do it. Yeah, and, and you know, they're going around to these depots and these shops. They're telling newer members that, that, right. don't, that they figure don't know no better. That yeah. management has the right to do it. So that means that they have defeated any a possibility of challenging it. Now, I, the reason why I point this out is because this is one of the cynical features of this administration. They have done it, done what, you, what, what I described there repeatedly on a number of issues where they wanted to concede a, um, major issues to management. They did it in MTA bus with respect to giving back spousal health benefit. This is the, the surviving spouse's benefit. A member passes away his spouse continues to get medical benefits for life in the, at, over in MTA bus. Well, what happened is, after my administration, the MTA jumped up and said that they have the right to, um, to discontinue that. This is after I left. And the union agreed. And the union allowed them to stop the, end the spousal benefit, and that went on for about three years. The members were angry. They were pissed off, understandably. They even contacted Sonny Hill and asked him to look at the language and tell him, give, him give, give his view on his recommendation of what the language said. And Sonny Hill said that management is violating the language. Right? But by that time, management had been, had been allowed to do this for three years. Right? Um, because, because the unions, this is Samuelson's counsel, Dennis Engel, and, and, and the vice presidents were telling the members that this what the union had given this up and management was right to, had the right to do it. So after three years of bitter complaining, they finally agreed, relented, and decided to take it before the arbitrator. So guess what the arbitrators ruled? With MTA? No, they, take, they, they took me, no, no, no. The union, because the members were making relentlessly complaining about it, in order to acquire them, the union agreed to submit the matter to before arbitration. 
Uh. So what comes before the arbitrator then is the, is the repeated evidence of the union saying that management was within its rights. So the, <laughs> you, so the arbitrator knew that, man, that the union had just brought this grievance because the members were bitching. To shut the members up. And we needed cover. We need you to know <clears throat> um, as the arbitrator to affirm what we had been saying all along. That management was was right to do this. Not. So so again, I'm saying to you, this is the type of disgusting and it is criminal cynicism. In order to make my administration and me look bad, they're willing to let management take away health benefits. They let let management change health benefits, and the chronic sick area, right? They they they're allowing management, they're throwing members to the wolves. And in order to be able to say Roger gave up chronic sick, right? With, the, with respect to um, the station maintainer helper program, mm -hmm. a new title, they they want they, they they're trying to blame the contract on their failure to implement it, the apprenticeship program, whatever management wants done or wants removed from the contract didn't like the Samuelson Dong's administration gets out <laughs> front there. <laughs> They Don't get front the out there to make management's case for them. They've been wanting to shut down the apprenticeship program for years. Right? For years. Mr. Utano and Mr. Samuelson has a problem with cleaners, station agents, and traffic checkers coming into the trades. Hmm. Right? Coming into the craft, the craft jobs inside of transit. Right? right? Mm -hmm. That's their problem. And therefore, they wanted that program shut down. And the apprenticeship program was designed for the entry-level people who are primarily people who come from poor and disadvantaged backgrounds, a large number of women, so that you don't, you're not stuck in dead-end positions as transit workers, but you can rise to more affluent so-called jobs. Correct. Right? That is what it was designed for. They have a problem with that. Right? And therefore... They, have, they, they craft all sorts, of, all sorts of ways and mechanisms to get management, to, to allow management to have its way. And this is what I, what I describe as utter, utter cynicism and betrayal on their part. These guys are not just, they, they, they're not just making mistakes and blunders. They're not just bad, clumsy trade unionists. They're just bad people. Mm. You understand? And, and I need, you know, people need to, folks need to understand that. Yeah, I, I totally agree. Yeah, of Dude. course, because like I said, when Steve Downs came on the show, you know, back when y'all uh, were here back in April, you know, he said that the apprenticeship program, as far as they suspended it because of a lack of budgeted positions. There weren't enough budgeted positions for the members when they were coming out of school. Remember right. he, he said, said that? that, and he also said that they didn't. He, 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 he stumbled and said that they, 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 it didn't identify the specific titles. When it actually identifies very specific titles, mm -hmm. oh yeah, he actually said yeah, it. Yeah. It, it, yeah, it says it says which titles they come from. Exactly, exactly. right. But but it, but the point is, this is management's argument. On the on the station maintainer helper program, they claimed that the contract only pay allows for the payment of structure maintainers when they're actually doing training, right? Mm. Um, rather than. If they pick the job to train station maintainer helpers, they get they get that four dollars an hour more for the life of their pick, which is what the agreement, the discussion actually was, and which how that item was priced 
in the negotiations. Mm. But they wanted to get rid of it. So what they did is they booby tra- they, 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 they gave management's interpretation of the language and then used that to sink the old provision itself so that it simply went away. Yeah. The station maintain a helper program, they just killed it. Right? So now, because they're happy to see cleaners remain cleaners. Now, keep in mind, the reason why this was important is because back in the 1980s, up to the 1980s, late 80s, early 90s, and these brothers here can probably correct me exactly when, Cleaners was classified under, under civil service as, as, as being among the open competitive class. Mm-hmm. So if you came in as a cleaner, you can, in the open competitive ranks, you can actually promote. And most train operators, veteran train operators, were either cleaners, station agents, track workers, and so forth. Mm-hmm. Right. All open competitive, right? right? And what they did is, they remove cleaners from the open competitive class and put cleaners in a labor class. Labor class yeah. And so they, when they put in labor class, they were not able to access promotional positions. Wow. So therefore, it was critical for the union to address this injustice, create a pathway for cleaners to not be stuck in dead-end positions. Correct. So you could go home to your, to your children and say, you know, I came in as a cleaner. I'm now I'm a, I'm a maintainer in the a maintainer helper. Right, right. The helper titles all over the transit authority. So you you have some you, you have something to work towards, right? I mean, I started as a cleaner myself. Yeah. Right. But trans. But the but but for 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 reasons that they have to explain, Samuelson and, and Utano were deadly opposed to cleaners being anything but be be stuck behind to a mop on a broom. Damn. Right. That's where, that's the belief that that's their place and their station in life. Yeah. And that's where you should stay. In your opinion, do you think that we go pay for our own race? Because I believe that the health um, contribution, we, it's going to go up. Well, I believe that we're already paying. First of all, the last so-called race you got was fully paid for by transit workers. Right? Robin Peter to pay Paul. You mm-hmm. took the money out of one pocket and put it in the other pocket. And we can go through exactly how that was done, but one half percent of that one percent raise was accounted for by increasing employee contributions from one point five to two percent. Correct. Straight off the bat. Correct. Now I think I wanna I Which wanna... is interesting. Okay. This is the point on which Samuelson and Dongs and they kind of got themselves elected. They attacked the one point five percent mercilessly for a number of years. In our two, they had a fellow named Irwin, 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 what's his name? Irwin, 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 no, um, Lee, Lee Ireland. Went around and picked up collections from our two members to sue about the 1.5 and da 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 and so on. Right? And over executive board members, any executive board member being on the, on the, on staff. And they turned around and increased, after being elected, increased the 1.5 to 2%, 2%. Without, without batting an eye. They did that. So that accounts for the chunk of your raise right there. You paid for it through, through, your, through health benefits. Mm-hmm. And then when you start to add up the incremental cost, because that's how contracts are costed up, what is the cost of, the, of delaying the um, delaying cleaners from getting um, from getting to top pay, right? Of stretching out their stuff. Yeah. 
what is the cost of of imposing um, second class conditions on new hires in some areas of the contract. Um, and then, of course, they had been allowing the MTA, which I be, do believe that be, behind the scenes where you don't know, but I know how these things go, they were allowing the MTA to realize savings from, from, from removing contractual provisions that it was obligated to, to provide, and then um, claiming credit for, the, for those savings towards that 1%. Wow. I'll give you an example. Up until... Um, my administration, bus drivers in Brooklyn had no swing rooms whatsoever. So, um, I mean, across the system, our drivers learned to be experts at peeing in cups. <laughs> Literally. Yeah, and yeah. peeing in the doorwell in the back of the bus. Right. Right? And what happens if you're a female? Hey. And what happens... Um, you know what I'm saying? I mean, this is this is this is undignified. Yeah, they were to working put people it. under those conditions. Yeah, they were working it out too, though. Right. Yeah. So, um, so and so we made the, the issue of dignity a very big issue in the in in the O two and the O five negotiations. And we told them that that this would that the issues of dignity we consider to be strike issues. We would shut the system down over dignity. So, for instance, we told them in 2005 that you will not have a contract signed unless and, 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 and emerge from 05 with the Transit Authority being the only state agency that didn't celebrate Martin Luther King Day. That we consider that to be a matter of precious and dear to our, our personal dignity as a disrespect to our population. Right? It didn't happen then. Right? And so, so along those lines, we made the issue of the establishment of swing rooms, so so members can have bathrooms on route, right? And the agreement was to establish at least four swing rooms in Brooklyn, paid for by the Transit Authority. The, we firmed up an agreement where the Transit Authority was obligated into perpetuity, forever, to establish and maintain the cost of those swing rooms, which means... One for instance was established on Livingston, Livingston Street, Livingston Plaza, right? Right. Um, nice facilities. It was probably 15 feet by 40 feet with bathroom facilities, lunchroom facilities, refrigerators, and so on and so forth. Because that is a location at which um, a whole bunch of runs um, end. Yeah. Right? So people could have some dignified conditions. Transit Authority was allowed to shut that down. And they shut down the ins the ones other ones that they were open up opening up or had been opening up illegally. The union did not wimp, did not do a whimper of protest, and that would be that would be um, um, John Samuelson. And this is a these are written agreements. J.P. Patafio, who is the vice president for TA Surface, mm -hmm. right? Shut down the. Now that means that now when you go to negotiations, you say you remember. How we how we um we allowed you to put these bus operators back in back push them back in um into the old days, peeing in the doorwell and into cups. Um give us some credit for that towards that one percent raise. Mm. Follow me? Yeah. No. And I I can point to a series of other measures like that. That's where you got your one percent from. You it, it took it from you, right? And it took it from you in the most egregious manner. Right, um, in the in the common contract, 
this is they're gonna they they already I, they, they are already making savings that um, that that I do believe will be they'll be claiming credit for in the negotiations and and the topic we're discussing here is the change from Blue Cross Blue Shield to Aetna, which must realize millions of savings on an annual basis, not just a one-shot basis, on an annual basis for the MTA. Um, and that being an example, look, you, you have an absentee um, president, an absentee policeman. You allow the MTA to do what they want, right? And, therefore, and their chief savings... And therefore, they will look more um, they will look more favorably upon trying to work something out for you for some type of wage increase. And that's the attitude. That's the approach. I and definitely then, think it's going up to two point five. And then, and then also by them cutting the apprenticeship program, that's less money going into the trust for uh, the apprenticeship. You know, the money that was going into it to fund it, that's less money going into it on an annual basis. So that's also what's going to help pay for the raise. Yeah, too, right? and I think contractual is three hundred fifty thousand no, 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 a month. Understand how that fund is set up. The authority is obligated to supply three point six million dollars into the training and upgrade fund. In addition to that, they were required to 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 pro promote um, 96 um, apprentices annually from a series of titles into into an apprenticeship program. That's a separate and additional cost, right? Um, because the, the the amount that they require to contribute, the 3.6 million is also, is fixed in the contract. Now, I, you know, if you do the numbers, it amounts to it climbs into into many millions annually, right? Those 96 positions. And they have not been doing that, right? Um, for the reasons that we just discussed. Those are savings that the authority is, is, is both a savings, it's not just a money issue. The authority was always opposed to cleaners, traffic checkers, station agents, having the, they had the same attitude as, as Utano and uh, Mr. Samuelson, right? In terms of how you come to the trade into into trade jobs in the authority. Yeah, correct. Let me ask you a question regarding um, how transit set up their rules with bulletins and stuff like that. Does the union have any say before a bulletin go out? Well, for instance, in this in the area of safety, I have put a provision in writing that 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 requires the transit authority to submit any safety, rev any revision in safety to the union for input and comment prior to publication. Okay. I, 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 you can't, I can't say that that is being followed, but that's also a written obligation in, under the contract, wow. the 2002 contract. But I don't believe it is being followed because, again, there's nobody watching the store in yeah. so many areas. If they could do what they did in health benefits, imagine what they're doing in all of these yeah. other areas. Exactly. Have you heard imagine. about the um, the uh, <clears throat> what, what is that workers comp transit making workers come to work do work on workers comp take classes? Right. I heard a little bit about that. Um, I didn't see a full report, but it is not the it. full. Yeah, it is not the first time transit authority would um, try to come up with with some kind of harebrained schemes like that. Mm -hmm. There's absolutely no way that they could have gotten away with that under my administration. Let me just say something to you. I don't think they could have gotten away with it under administrations before me either. 
I mean, things are that bad. This, these guys are worse than, than the administrations before. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Right. Because management has no respect for them. Yeah. Management has no... Re- this is the reason why members are now having a feed... Have, t- telling you and reporting to you that management is all over them. There is, they feel as if they have no rights and management is getting away with murder. You know? Because all, everything is about wh- whether the union projects power, the union is policing the territory, what messages the union sends management. And if, if you look at the conduct we've been discussing here tonight, it sends the wrong, all the wrong messages to management, and there is no, it's, it's no wonder that management is running amok. I mean, oh. let's, let's be real. If this administration was strong, progressive action wouldn't have lasted a week. Exactly. And yeah. then, and then the thing is, you Absolutely know, yeah, we're, right. in lost, we're in the last of the week. Yeah, these guys are on Facebook with these fake aliases. They're, yeah. they're, they're all over Facebook, and that's all they're doing. So what else are they doing? They're not kicking butt with these, in these right. safety meetings and right. committee meetings. They're not doing anything. Roger, we, right. we went to the ninth floor. Mm-hmm. On the day of the uh, October 13th yeah. rally. Yeah. And if you didn't see the video or, or hear what we said, you know, it was immaculate. It was a ghost town up there. Yes. You could basically hear a pin drop. It was, there was, you know, basically the acoustics of the floor is, you know, how when a, you know, when a floor is, when some place is vibing with movement and people constantly going back and forth. Yes. You didn't, you didn't feel that up there. Right. You know? I mean, you would think that a union hall that is the home of 38,000 people, <clears throat> right? In the in properly, you know, the location is not bad. Right. Meaning, it's pretty central. Right. That it would be the it would be hub, it would be the hub of activity. Right. It'd be a buzzing every day a with buzz, people. Right. Right. Instead, you feel as if this is this is this the opposite, the very opposite. It was not intended to be a welcoming place for transit workers to believe and treat as their home. Right. Um, and they will. Ask you what you're doing here. You know what are you doing here? You know that's right. I mean, lucky we went in with Phil Donahue, whatever his name is, Pete, Pete Donahue. Donahue yeah. but we wouldn't even got in exactly because it's like yeah. a fortress up there. You need yeah. a key pass just to get on the ninth floor. Yes, yes. So and the, so you have two and a half floors detached from each other, mm-hmm. right? Um, with the top officers locked behind their um, fortress, their fortresses. It was never like that, right? Um, you know, but that's how they operate. That's how they operate. And Sam, you say, how is that? And, like and, and keep in mind, this means that you took all, whatever money was in the union's treasury at that point was dumped into that. Mm-hmm. So you, you, you wasted the whole, all of the union treasury, right? The, the vision was that in the sale of the building, we would create a, create a, a pool of money that, would, that we could then use to establish a permanent home for transit workers. But a home that would be the buzz of activity, you know, of an activist union, of an organizing union, of a union that was at the center of life in New York City, right? And, uh, and you could see it. You could feel it, right? Could any transit worker says, say that that's what you have? Negative. Like I said, we went up there, Sammy Sinoma got his name on the door. Yeah. No president, no, no nothing up there. Exactly. And you would figure... You know, to be proud to be the president, you would have your name on the door and pictures everywhere. But like I said, it was clean as if the construction was just finished yesterday. <laughs> exactly. Well, they know? hang out there. The yeah. officer, I mean, I mean, Samuelson people are notorious for doing nothing, meaning, and, 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 and part of the reason why 
they like him and why he's successful is because they're allowed to, there's no accountability. But Joe, Joe Bermudez told me that personally, that Samuelson let them do what they want. What? And, and the reason, oh, Roger was too much into our, our business. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, like, I'm into your business. If a train crew experiences a 12-9, you better believe you have to respond to the location and stay with that train operator and conductor until that train operator is released from the clinic. You understand? Yeah. Yes, I'm getting be. in your business. Yeah. That's why you that's why members are paying dues. When we have members laid up in the in the hospital, like such as Brother Fleming is right now, right. I want a union officer posted outside that outside his cubicle, and I want him relieved every eight hours until Brother Fleming goes home. Yeah. I mean Yeah, like, I'm getting in your business. I mean, like you said, it, that's it, the that's supposed to be the business that we're in. Correct. Mm -hmm. Correct. And even if Crystal was there, what was more important than that situation going on in the union right now? Right. Or going on right. in life. That's the mo there's nothing more important. <laughs> there's nothing more important. There's so nothing she, more important. So she should have, have a thing. union officer posted. Posted. Meaning under under my administration, I don't care whether you're a track worker, a bus driver, but there will be a union representative there. And, and, the, and, the, and the officers understood, the reps understood that, it, that we don't care what your title is, but you're going, you're going to have somebody representing the union and standing with, those fa with that family there until that member comes out of that situation. That's the right thing to do. That's the dignified thing to do, right? And, and no one was there. No one was there. Some, a few, few may have passed through to make sure they, they put their faces in, um, not while I was there. But there's no posting. <laughs> but let me ask you this, though. You think that I, I take I say think part of the blame is our fault because we don't know what to expect from a union. We don't know. We just come to work. We just think the union just supposed to be there to get us a good contract. And then that's it. They, they disappear into to the abyss. I don't think workers know the responsibility of a union that, you know what, you're supposed to have a representative here. Yeah. You're supposed to. But uh, it's, it's a question of a question of what standards Right, um, these standards here are worse than the standards under administrations before me. Under, I don't think that Willie James and Sonny all and them were that bad as these guys are. You understand? But we raised the standards when we took over. Accountability. You're gonna put in a a, a good day's work. You can't. You're not coming around and, and sticking your feet up on the desk, right? If our members are out there, twenty like we and we, we lived it. We didn't just talk it. Before, when I took over, union representatives and staff were entitled to unlimited paid sick time. We eliminated that and made it the same 12 sick days that members had. You follow me? Yeah, right. I follow you. Yeah. We eliminated the special health benefits package and put everybody into the TA health benefit plan. So union reps no longer had special health benefits. We eliminated the special Cadillac pensions they had and approximated the staff pension to be the equivalent of what a senior transit worker would make if you combine the MTA pension and whatever they got from the union. Yeah. So we took away all the privileges. So the attitude was, if you think you deserve more sick time, get more sick time for transit workers, and that's your way to get sick time for yourself. Correct. See, and this administration is so sad. Like when me and Jamel go visit people outside of um, Local 100, they still think that you're the president. Well. <laughs> and there's no lie. They, yeah. Professional people think that you you are the president. Yeah, well. And I'm sure that when you went to that hospital today, they probably, they probably thought you were still the president. So you know what they're saying? The president came. Mm -hmm. yeah. <laughs> yeah. That's right. And but it's sad. Brother Staten has joined us here, and he was at the hospital with me. So if you don't mind, I'd like to get a drink of water, and he could help 
for yeah, the grab, grab, grab the because this is his department he's uh-huh. a construction flagger when yeah, you definitely. come back when you come back we want to talk about the mta bus Right. Okay, what's what's going on, Mike? Hey, how y'all doing? All right, you want to put your headphones on, or you good? Uh, I'm good. I'm good. All right. Okay. So yeah, the you know, um, conductors flagging. That's your department. That's my department. Um, I heard that y'all went to go visit Brother Fleming. Could you expand on your 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 talk with him or your experience, how he feel, and things like that? Um, well, I must say, um, in terms speaking of, to the uh, mic, please. In terms of. Uh, and talking with Brother Fleming, he was uh, he was very lucid. He was uh, you know he was talking. He was actually uh, you know kind of joking a little bit with his family members. I really didn't want to engage him into too much conversation because of the uh, extent of the injuries. You know he had uh, had some uh, damage to uh, his ribs, and it was uh, you know impairing I guess his ability you know in terms of his breathing and uh, and so forth. And he was under a lot of pain medication. But he's coming along very well. Um, I spoke to uh, a number of his family members and so forth. And uh, so I'm just happy to report that, uh, you know, the brother is on the mend uh, in terms of uh, for any other, you know, transit members that may be concerned about uh, Brother Fleming's uh, well-being. All right. So, um, so Roger mentioned that there wasn't any union reps there. Uh, when we arrived there, no, there wasn't any any union present there. Uh, I noticed before I got there because I had a I had a, re- a five thirty report out of Jackson, and um, by the time I I uh, cleared work, uh, Crystal and a few other um, shop stewards had came to the location uh, at Jackson Avenue to uh, you know talk to members. Uh, basically, when this incident happened, roughly uh, sometime after midnight yesterday, um, the transit authority pulled you know everybody off. Usually, when an incident of this magnitude happens, they you know they institute a uh, safety stand down, and they basically shut down all track work and so forth. So basically, all of the flaggers and all of the departments, uh, you know, all all track work was suspended. Uh, so when they came out. Um, you know, late this morning, early afternoon, they were basically, you know, sort of chastising uh, flaggers for, you know, putting information out on Facebook. And there was some concerns over whether or not the uh, the family of Mr. Gray had uh, had been uh, notified beforehand. And uh, it just seemed to be, you know, it was more concern there instead of what do we do to comfort the family uh, that are affected by this tragedy. Um, in fact, I had even raised the, uh, the question or the concern was, was the chaplain's office uh, notified to actually send out grief counselors to the different locations to deal with the flaggers? Because many of them that, you know, work with these brothers, you know, I'm sure were obviously distraught, uh, concerned about, uh, you know, what was going on. You know, many of us, including myself, we learned about this when we came to work from the news media, uh, from whatever accounts we saw on the uh, television. Uh, so there wasn't you know, anyone there, uh, whether it be from the union or otherwise, to simply deal with those members. And I just thought it was particularly uh, you know, shameful because out of the location that that particular account came out of, which was Chamber Street, there was no one. Uh, no one was dispatched from the... Uh, from the chaplain's office to to be there 
before those workers had cleared for the day and went home. And, uh, and so I asked, you know, Crystal that, and she says, well, you know, we have the numbers to the chaplain. If members, you know, feel like they need counseling, they can call the chaplain. And uh, to me, I, I just didn't think that that was a sufficient response. You know, as someone in a position of leadership, you have a responsibility to inform the chaplain and say, look, my members are hurting right now. They need some grief counselors. You need to be over there at these locations and, and attend to our members. So she was basically cold. Excuse me? She was cold. Uh, <laughs> yes. She was cold. And it's mighty funny. You said she come out there basically to chastise, to keep information off of the internet and not even want to be with the surviving um, member and, and comfort them and their family and making sure things is right over there. Um, they had uh, they have basically had brought reports. I don't know uh, how much time they spent there. Um, they did bring, you know, some preliminary reports uh, back when they came that morning, but I don't know how much time they spent and so forth. But I do know when Roger and I... Uh, arrived there we hadn't seen anyone there from the union in the time that we were there and i don't even know if to this point if uh samuelson had even been out to to visit the brother no he was at he 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 was at a um a shop gate right that's what i was going to say to add insult to injury he's still there laying up in the hospital so they still have the opportunity to go there and visit him Right. I mean, but like Roger said, it should be a post, a permanent a, a post, permanent post yeah. until he until he goes until home. He what goes home, what exactly. is more important? All these release reps that you got going on right. going on around here. Right. And the, they all and they all get paid six figures. Like Kia, Crystal, and Samuelson, they should have been down there, without a doubt, for the majority of the day. And then after that, like you said, set up shifts. Um, it was it was really because uh, Roger had brought something to my attention when I got down there this afternoon that the uh, that apparently that um, accounts in the newspaper had been leaked in terms of the incident pertaining to the fatality of, of uh, Brother Gray, and in many cases we at the time when that information was leaked, it seemed uh, unclear if whether the family had even been notified. Um, and, uh, you know, I just thought that that was appalling. Um, when I had arrived there this afternoon, you know, there was uh, news outlets, you know, trying to, uh, you know, go up into the room. Because when I arrived at the uh, at the desk, you know, the first thing the, uh, the officials there at the hospital asked me, they said, uh, you know, you're not from the press, are you? I said, no, no, no. I said, I'm just a member, you know, just trying to uh, uh, ascertain the, uh, the condition and uh, the status of... Uh, of uh, Brother Fleming. So they said, oh, okay. And uh, to find out after, you know, talking with the family that, you know, the press had been, you know, lurking around, you know, trying to get a story and trying to sensationalize uh, the issue. I mean, you have to kind of understand that when these types of tragedies happen, it's a very traumatic time for the family. Uh, It's a traumatic time for a number of folks. And, you know, you want to try to treat the situation with the right amount of sensitivity and respect to the family and everyone involved. And I think the elected reps need to know that also. And they, there's no excuse for that. There's no excuse. I think the, it seems like they become an ambulance chasers, like I said before, and they make more visits to hospitals than they do actually in the work, field, the work sites themselves 
They don't speak to the mill. I haven't seen Stillwell as a big terminal. Nobody's there. Nobody's there. Yeah. You know what I mean? We living in a sad time. That's why it feel like with our union, they have become an extension of uh, management. Absolutely. And that's why the November 10th rally yeah. is so important. That's why it's so important because, <laughs> because of situations. and ex- This is a prime example of what our rally is all about. And you want to know what? Just like Tremel said a few minutes ago, if these guys were, if these people were kicking ass and if they were doing what they're supposed to do, progressive action be wouldn't no need be, exactly, there'd be no need for progressive action. We wouldn't last for a week. Exactly. But because they do what they do, this is what makes progressive action so successful. And we've basically gotten up off the ground as if you we were on a jet. You know what I'm saying? So that's what I mean when I say they're guilty. They, you know, they talk about, you know, they talk about us. They say, "Oh, we're breaking the union. We're doing this." Just like I said in my live video earlier, they, they, they got all this shit to say about progressive action. But how fucking ignorant can you be to where, again, it's it's a lack of knowing what your union is supposed to do for you. It's a lack. All you, all the, all these, all these people are worried about is is, is getting the day off and worried about uh, the Christmas parties and worried they were worried about silly shit. They're worried about some place to wipe their behind more than they are worried about the buses rolling out the depot. They're more, again, they're scared to death of these damn union officials. And meanwhile, they're not doing shit for them. But meanwhile, when Roger and them was in office, here it is, these people were working hard for them. And here it is, you got a man that went to jail for you. You got somebody that is is Samuelson going to jail for any of y'all stupid asses, That's, that's even the ones that's elected under him. None of them. Yeah. And, and, and and y'all can listen to me and y'all can approach me. Anybody can approach me and I'm gonna tell you to your face. You know? That's yeah, well, let's let's get back to the buses with this, this MTA bus thing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Let's get back to that. Yeah. We wanna you know, we wanna tackle that, you know. Yeah. So Roger, what's going on with, with MTA bus <clears throat> and what's the situation over there, cuz? Well the situation is I believe they're still waiting on their uh con they're still waiting on some type of pension reform from the arbitrator or something from like the that. arbitrator yeah and then you got some people on facebook that say that uh, roger sold out mta bus okay well l- let me just say i gotta be able to respond to very specific kind of claims you can't throw that kind of <laughs> it's too broad, broad yeah, true broad. Broad, i know yeah and then tell me defend myself I mean, you know, I mean, I that is not fair you know what i'm saying okay. so talk so what what you should do is you should you sh- and I will come back on again. I'll, I should be able to come back on once or twice in November here because I expect to be up here um, again next week, right? The week at least the week of the 14th and next week because of what we discussed before, right? What about Thanksgiving? Why Thanksgiving? <laughs> Why are you trying to give us work on Thanksgiving? <laughs> What's wrong with this guy? Thanksgiving, that's, a t- that's the last Thursday in the month. The last Thursday of the month, I don't. I, I'm just, I'm just messing no, I, I mean, show on Thanksgiving? No, <laughs> I, do have, I do have any plans, but I think that I will be around next week and the following week. So I'm saying, t- to tell them, give you some specific questions with an explanation. Don't just say, um, just through some kind of yeah, broad, broad something. Broad. Uh, broad, know, yeah. well, let tell, me, tell, tell, tell them to be specific. What is your argument? What do, what are you saying? Uh, let me just explain some some very basic stuff here. Um, MTA bus ex- 
what what exi- what is MTA bus previously existed as five separate depots up until two thousand and four five, right? Um, those were Jamaica. They used to be called Jamaica, Triborough, Queen Surface, Queen East Chester. Sorry, they called New York bus. Now it's called East Chester. Right, New York bus. And service. then Liberty, Liberty Express, and Liberty Transit. Right, right. That was made up of of MTA. That was made. That wasn't called MTA bus. It was called private bus lines. And then, in addition to that, attached to private bus lines was various school bus companies: Miles Square, Royal Coach, Adsley. Um, the union had eighteen private companies, in addition to the MTA. Right, mm-hmm. eighteen when I when I took over. Um, so. The, what, has be, what became MTA bus are those um, six garages, right? If you include um, Liberty, the two Liberty garages get split into Express and Transit, right? Um, and three of them became part of MTA bus, part of um, the MTA in 2005 or four and five. And then two became part of MTA bus in 2006. That is um, Jamaica and Tribal, what is now called Baisley Park and um, LaGuardia. LaGuardia Depot. Right. Right. Became in 2006. And that is the reason why when we went on strike, they were not part of the MTA. They went out first because they were not subject to the Taylor law. Right. I remember that. Yeah. Right. Um, so when we. When I when I, when my administration came in, they were in an expired contract, um, and in a bad place because it was right after nine eleven, and where the option of taking strike action was a much more difficult one to consider because it was right in the shadows of nine eleven of the of the towers, right. Um, but the big problems were with the, the health benefits were massively underfunded. And there's a very interesting and important story to be told about that. And the pensions was based on a multiplier of, I believe it was $78 um, instead of the system that we have in the TA where in terms of how calculate how pensions are calculated, they, they, theirs was based on a multiplier. Mm. Their number one demand of all, across those bus depots was to move the multiplier from up to 105, right? That was the number one. It was a big move. When you look at the numbers, it was a big move. Um, and um, and we, we actually did it at first, despite the difficulty, Prior to 9-11, we did it at Liberty Bus. We immediately set upon, set upon the path to do that. When I took over in January, we struck Liberty Bus at the end of February and got wage parity with, with TA driving, drivers, MT, TOA drivers. We got a 54% increase in, um, in medical benefits and, uh, and a 27% increase in the um, in the pensions up to 105, mm. right? Um, out of a one-day strike. That was February, March of 2001. 
And then the world changed a few months later, 9-11 occurred, mm -hmm. right? The idea of going on strike again was extremely difficult, making things happen. Nonetheless, in 2002, we went out on strike on, the, on those garages to advance the, the... I mean, I inherited an expired contract, right? We went out on strike. I believe it was three strikes we conducted out in Queens. Short strikes and then one bruising six-week strike. Wow. Right? So, and I'll tell you something. When I took over... We made the fight over there the number one front line for the whole union. All the officers served time out there, manning picket lines, organizing, more. don't care, train operators, conductors, bus operators, track workers, everybody was out there. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it was battle after battle focused on there. They never got, they had never been made to feel part of the union. They'd always been treated as outsiders and second class citizenship. And, and we set about changing that and we changed it by putting the, our bodies on the line there, standing with those brothers and sisters trying to move their situation because their contract were expired. Right? But we were dealing with a very difficult, complicated situation, including sabotage from the international. Hmm. At the time when I took over the internet, the, 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 the the, there are two positions that we did not want in terms of vice president, did not win in terms of vice presidencies. One was Map Store, Gail Rodriguez was the vice president for mm -hmm. Map Store still. Yeah. Um, stronghold over from the old guard. And yeah. George Jennings was vice president of MTA Bus. And, they, and, and both of them persisted in undermining and sabotaging every single thing we attempted to do. Wow. Right, so the history is co more is complicated. Right. Um, now, by the time the strike came around and post strike, we had um, the MTA on its own had decided to bring them and the city wanted to get out of the of the of the of the of that business and give, put it inside of the MTA. That was their decision. It had nothing to do with us, right? Um, and by the time when I left, we had been able to to um, transpose the TOA medical coverage to MTA bus, right? And as I pointed out, the Samuelson administration gave up the the surviving spouse benefit in order to have something to blame on me and my administration. <laughs> and what did remain unresolved was the pension piece, right? Right, moving the pension to 105. Quite frankly, 105 doesn't even do justice in terms of if you compare side by side the pensions between MTA bus and TOA pensions. Right, it's a right. multiplier. How, how they do it is it's a real simple formula. Uh, it's based on the amount of years that they have on a job. It's 105 times, let's say, if you have 30 years. Mm -hmm. So basically, everybody knows what they're walking away with when they leave that job over there yeah. at MTA Bus. Yeah. 105 times, let's say, somebody that does 30 years, 105 times 30. Yeah. And that's what you get on a monthly basis. Well, well I, I mean, I am, I'm not up to date in terms of exactly what the current status is. I okay. do just do know that, that the pension issue had remained unresolved by the time that I left. And of course, I mean, I'm talking the period between the strike and I left in 2009, but actually Curtis State was put in from 2008 to finish off the last year. 
yeah. 2009. Um, um, so, I mean, there's a little, some, a few little things happen in 2005. We went on strike. In 2006 to 2008, we lost dues checkoff. There was no dues. We had to collect the dues hand by hand for hand to hand, you know, bi-weekly. And we only got it restored in the fall of 2008. Wow. So, again, you have, to see, you have to be able to evaluate the union's performance against the backdrop of the big, massive lifting we had to do in some other areas. Well, let me ask you this before we get out of here, because I, I get tired of hearing this question and, and hearing people make this statement. The no layoff clause. Yeah. Oh, God. Yeah. I, I, we just went to a depot the other day, and they, they argued me with that. Yeah. Um, you did not give up the no layoff clause, correct? Well, the no layoff clause, the clause itself said that the clause expired with the, two, with the 1999 agreement, and, and it was to expire in December of 2002. Two. By Willie James. That's that, what the clause said. Yeah, the clause said that this clause expires. Well, well, let me ask you this. Why didn't any layoffs happen under you, but did happen under Samuelson? Because we were fight, engaging and fighting management, and we made it clear to management that layoffs would be a strike issue, regardless of layoff clause or not. Not because of the layoff, no layoff clause or the absence of it, because the layoff, no layoff clause meant absolutely nothing. It never protected. The no layoff clause, the language of the no layoff clause very simply said the local 100 will have the same no layoff clause that exists in DC 37 of ASME. Right? Mm -hmm. And in DC 37 of ASME, there had been layoffs every year under that no layoff clause. <laughs> so it didn't mean nothing. <laughs> it didn't mean nothing, right? exactly. It doesn't because when you look into the weeds and ask what is the no layoff clause in DC 37 of ASME, it says, that the, the agency will, agencies will not conduct layoffs unless there was a financial emergency. Well, guess what? The only time you conduct layoffs is if there's a financial emergency, by Correct. definition. Correct, yeah. Right? And you can call anything a financial emergency. Mm -hmm. Right? Um, so, and, and then it said, unless there was a financial emergency, in the event of which you have to follow the following procedures, inverse seniority, this, that, and the other transfers that, that, that then lay off by inverse seniority. Attrition. And so, so that is what is called, the, that was what was called the no layoff clause. There is no explanation in the local monitored contract beyond what I just said to you. You have the same no layoff clause as DC 37. It doesn't say anything about what, anything else describing what it is. So we have to then go find the DC 37 no layoff clause and find out what is the experience in DC 37. And that is what we had. They have been having layoffs every year. Wow. Back then, at the time of this no layoff clause. And since. Wow. Right? So, the, 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 and, and we had pointed out early in the game that the purpose of the no layoff clause was, to, was for the local 100 leadership at the time to be able to present to the members that we got something in exchange for huge givebacks that were contained in the contract. So you could say we, we, we protected you. We have a no layoff clause here, and this is one of the reasons we had to give up all of these other things. Right, so that was the that was the transaction, and that's how we described it. You know, in the early in the game. All right. So, um, but again, but your protection against layoff is whether you're ready to kick ass. Mm 
That's your protection. And the MTA scene that Sam Houston wasn't yeah. ready to kick ass. You ready to kick ass? <laughs> right. I mean, in, the, in, 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 in you understand? In, in, in 2005, right. while we were preparing for a potential strike, which we which we had been preparing from since we walked into office in 2001, we we knew this was going to go into a major battle. We knew that, right? Because we we knew we weren't going to back off. And we were not going to go the route of the previous union leadership. So we began preparing for a big battle we knew was bound to come, whether it was in 2002 or 2003 or 2004. Somewhere down the road, we knew it was coming. Right? In 2005, early in 2005, the MTA contemplated using layoffs as a threat against us, knowing that the negotiations was coming at the end of the year. So what they did is, in maintenance of a department, they identify 170-something structure maintainers and, the, and, and excess them under the contract. They declared them as excess employees. Wow. They were contemplating laying them off. I met with them and I told them how I view layoffs, that I understand that what you're doing is that you're taking hostages in preparation for your negotiations. You want to take my people hostage so you can put pressure on me when I come to the table to give shit up in order to, to make to get them safe. And that therefore we would respond in kind. So they, what they decided is that they will not lay them off. They were going to reassign 170 something structure maintainers. These are tradesmen, might be plumbers, masons, and so on. Uh, they were reassigning them to the stations department as cleaners. And they did that. So they actually made them cleaners and kept paying them their, their structure maintainer pay. Right? Yeah. <clears throat> you would ask yourself, what is the point of that? Right. Except to A, humiliate them and to try to weaken the, the union and create divisions inside the union. You're still paying them their premium rate. So what's the sense of... It, What's of having them behind a broom and a mop? Humiliate them. Exactly. To make them feel and, like they have yeah. leverage oh, yeah. going into negotiations. Yeah. 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 yeah, because those maintainers, I know for a fact, yeah. it's beneath them to clean yeah. something. Yeah. And they admitted to us later on that it was all political. Right? It was all about preparing for negotiations and preparing to have leverage because at the end of the day, that's what negotiations are about. Who have power at the table? Right? Again, like I say, to make, put it very simply, if you bring a knife to a gunfight, you lose that fight, <laughs> right? And they were bringing, they, that was their gun, and they wanted to see whether we were going to bring guns too. And, and the, we did. And the guns we came We brought up. it to them, yeah. right? Right. And that's, what, that's how you get protection. That's how you get protected. If the guy believes on the other side of the table that if they do the wrong thing, there will be repercussions and consequences, that's your protection. Yeah. Right, and then also real quick because you, because uh, you understand something. There's also something that people people fail to <clears throat> properly grasp. It's not as if an employer, a, a a public agency, could write on a piece of paper, "We commit that there will be no layoffs of um, of your employees." And the reason why you don't get that is because the public agencies rely upon budgets, and budgets are set by the state legislature. And public agencies cannot abrogate the authority of the state legislature. Mm. If the state legislature 
issues you a budget, then you live with that budget. And you spend according to that budget. You cannot, you cannot spend money the state, state legislature did not give you. So it is actually, there, you know, there, there is an, a, a clear legal argument that says you, 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 are, you have no standing under the law to issue a commitment against layoffs that the state legislature didn't give you. You follow me? Yeah, yeah, yeah of course. And it's just, it's just all nonsense, right? Um, and folks don't, don't understand that because they, because, you know, they prefer to have these fairy tales about, yeah. um, um, you know, no layoffs and so yeah. on. Of course. So, so the bottom line is that Sam Houston, that layoffs happen under Samuelson because he, right. he, they knew he couldn't kick ass. Well, yeah. not, not only layoffs happen under Samuelson, but Cuomo sat, stood back. Cuomo at that time was attorney general. Cuomo sat back in his chair and looked at how Samuelson caved. <laughs> and as soon as Cuomo came into office, he threatened everybody with layoffs. And he got CSCA to agree to accept three zeros and five-year contracts for the first time. Because he had seen it work under Samuelson. As soon as, um, as uh, was it Pendergrass at the time? Loader. Samuelson. Eh? Loader? Um, no, no, no. Or Walder. Walder. Walder, yeah. As soon as Walder threatened Samuelson with layoffs, Samuelson went before the executive board, recommended, created a solidarity fund to pay the transit authority. I remember recommended that. That, that, the, that the union members contribute. Um, $39, $40 million annually towards the MTA to cover their deficit. That was in the Daily News. The Daily News reported. Samuelson raised his hand here. I, we have a way. You have a deficit. We're going to pay you. We're going to pay it. We, we, we will cover the deficit. We will how the tax hell the we, members. How the hell we pay them? We will tax. Yeah, that's, that was his negotiation. We will tax our members and enter, uh, money will go into a fund and we will cover your deficit. This way you don't have to conduct layoffs. But they didn't tell nobody that. That's no, it was in the news. It was in the news? It was in the I, news. I, I, I got I to find I can, that. I can give you that please, article. Please, oh, please, please. please. I'm going to put article. that up tomorrow. Oh, yes. <laughs> Reported in the Daily News. I'm going to put I want to know Pete Donahue wrote that. I'm going to put yeah. it in a frame. It was, oh, yes. It might have been him. <laughs> because he'd been auditioning for a job for Sam Wilson for a long, long, long time. He even came visiting me down in my home, sending reporters to camp out in the bushes outside my home in Georgia, you ain't in shoot Atlanta. Him? You ain't shoot at him? Well, there's a whole story of how that went down. But he had, he had reporters hiding in the bushes outside my house. Wow. Right? That was his audition, and he was auditioning for a job with John Samuelson, which he now has. Okay. Yeah. We can talk about these things. Yeah, that, now, well, well, basically, real quick, you know, people still believe, and again, this is what, you know, because I'm out here at night, that the. Everybody still thinks that during the strike you should we should have stayed out oh, longer, God. more than three days. And I and I tell these people to so listen. At the time when we came back, you know, we basically they basically had them by the you know by the stones, and we and we were, and we at that time we got what we wanted. But can you basically explain real quick to everybody why we came back after three days? We came back because we won. We went on strike to block the pension. The pension was blocked. And not only did we block them from doing a tier six pension, which would triple the contributions of new employees, but we got them to agree to a pension refund worth $131.7 million. That was, that, that, that was a benefit for over 22,000 members that got a refund, had a refund to come into them that they were not going to get otherwise. 
So not only did we block the pension that they wanted, we got a pension refund. So what happened? What do you do when you win? That's the demand that we, as far as John Public is concerned, we went on strike because we refused to give, give to eat our unborn, to give up our unborn, have our unborn pay three times into the pension. That's the issue that the New Yorkers and the world knew that we struck over. Now, are we? What, what do we do once we win that? Move the ball and say, by the way, we want all this something else here done as well. I mean, you, you, you all follow me. Yeah, yeah. Follow we you, struck over the pension. And you got what and you wanted. And we won the pension. Out. Right. Yeah. We got what we wanted. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. All right. That's your answer. That's it. Exactly. All right. Yeah. Look, Roger said that he's going to be up here maybe once or twice. So we go call this Roger November meeting oh, part yeah. one. <laughs> Definitely. This is part one. That's right. Part one. And, and I'll tell you the story about Pete Donahue's boys hiding in the bushes in Georgia. Right? Pete Donahue. Donahue. Samuelson has now hired us as one of his three directors uh, in the publicity department. He has three directors watching each other around one table. I don't know who they're directing, <laughs> right? Because he got Jim Gannon, who was Sonny Hall's right-hand man in communications. He's um, director of communications. Then he got Alan Saley, who is director of publications. I'm not making this up. Go read their, their thing. Mm -hmm. Alan Saley is director of publications and Pete Donahue is director of media, right? And they sit around a table and they direct each other, right? They're three directors and that means that they're being paid big money, right? So you got spin doctors working full time for him. So I'll tell you all the story behind that, who Jim Gannon is. And I'll tell you the Pete Donahue story. And right, Alan so we got something to look for next sure. show. You want to tell it now or you telling the no, next No, no, no. I mean, there's a, I mean, right now it's, it's 2 o'clock, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's, it's past 2 o'clock. It's past 2 o'clock, yeah. <laughs> you know, you know Ro Roger's clock stopped ticking at 2. He ready to go after 2 o'clock. <laughs> yeah, right, yeah, I know, yeah. All right, you know what? We we ain't even going to wrap it up. We just That was a good show. Yeah, that was a good show. You know, um, we, we want our brother to get better. R.I.P. to Mr. Gray. And his family. I mean, and you, you know, you might want to do try, try to encourage people to show find ways to show support. Um, yeah, for, we, for we, brother Fleming. Yeah, we we got um, um, Shauna Robinson working on something right, right now. And even if just like was done not very nicely with this um, with this fund, go fund for go fund me, go fund me, yeah, for um, for the Bradway. young lady, yeah. right. It may be something to do for Brother Fleming. Yeah, I, I want to make because, sure that is because when they when they, when when his family ends up having to rely on on workers' compensation, that's small money. They probably go tell him to come in for them ten that's days. Small money. That crazy right. shit they got going on. Unbelievable. Well, we gotta go. We stayed past our time. Yeah, I mean, I just hope every. Just want to say real quick. I hope everybody. You know, all the naysayers out there, and I hope, you know, I mean, of course, there's ignorance out there the way they like, yeah, right. But I don't care about them. But basically, it's like, you know, I hope people take heed to this information and absorb it and be like, okay, now you got an education behind it. Okay. And going forward, you see what's really got, what's really going on and what we got to do in the areas that we need to improve, you know. So, all right. That's the show for tonight. We out of here. Speak all to right. y'all later. All right. Thank have you. a good Appreciate night. It. All right. Good night.